All right, welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. This week, you've got myself and Nick, and we're talking about uh, some casting changes in the dying Harry Potter franchise, um, as well as some of the new Christmas movies coming through and just what we've been watching in general. Um, So let's go ahead and just jump in. Uh, Johnny Depp's role as Grindelwald in Fantastic Beasts um, has been in question for really as long as it's been since the last one came out, Um, just with everything that's gone on and been released and recanted and just is in the total storm of um, his and Amber Heard's divorce. Um, So it wasn't really a a huge surprise because it had felt like it was coming for a while. Whether or not it's, it's justified or not, I don't think anybody can really say at this point because nobody is entirely sure what's going on um, with that case. Uh, But Johnny Depp is out as Grindelwald and Mads Mikkelsen has been cast into the role. Um, And I, I think this is actually going to work out more in favor of the character. Um, I think especially given the fact that we don't really have a grip on Grindelwald yet in this franchise, um, you know, in the, the first movie is played by Colin Firth for the majority, or sorry, Colin Farrell, not Colin Firth um, for the majority of the movie. And then the last movie, which I've aggressively tried to remove from my brain, um, he's played by Johnny Depp and, and really getting, some time to focus on him and the supposedly next three movies in the series. Um, I think Mads Mikkelsen will give us a much stronger character than we've seen so far. Yeah. You put Mads Mikkelsen into just about any movie, the movie's better. Um, but it is interesting that it took this long. I mean, yeah, like you said, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard situation is that's, <laughs> that is such a, that's a, that's a, horn, a hornet's nest of just like bad shit and bad juju going on there. So yeah, I don't even know like what to make of that at this point, but it felt like, yeah, a lot of the stuff against Johnny was kind of swirling right around when crimes of Grindelwald came out. So it, it is interesting that it took this long, but I like the, I like the choice. Mads Mikkelsen. He's just, like I said, he's better in everything. Um, although I am one of those people that, yeah, like you said, Colin Farrell was in the first movie and I would love, love to just see him be the villain the entire time. Uh, you just, I love Colin Farrell. He's one of my favorite actors. But um, if we're going this way, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they explain it away with some magic being like, oh, he changes forms to avoid detection by the Ministry of Magic or whatever. They'll probably do something stupid like that to do that. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't even know if I want a third Fantastic Beast movie, but <laughs> that's probably an entirely different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there was um, rumor because a lot of people were asking that question originally was, why don't you just bring Colin Farrell back? I mean, he's he's already played that character to a certain extent, um, so it would be pretty believable. But supposedly he was a little too busy with a little movie called The Batman, uh, where he's almost unrecognizable. Um, but it makes sense. I think Mads is also just a lot more in tune with the character from a book standpoint as a big Potterhead growing up um, Johnny Depp seems like kind of an odd choice for the character. Uh, but Mads Mikkelsen seems like he fits it like a glove. I'm just being this kind of detached kind of stoic, um, just kind of quiet psychopath. Like if, if Mads brings the same energy he brought to Hannibal, um, I think Grindelwald could be just a phenomenal villain and a franchise that, you know, at this point, and I'm talking specifically about the Fantastic Beast portion of the franchise, um, doesn't really have any super bright spots or anything that really makes it stand out, in my opinion. Um, you know, I enjoyed the first one well enough. The second one, I just remember thinking it was dumb. 
Um, like it's it's kind of down there with Rise of Skywalker and uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, in my opinion. So I'm I'm not really excited for the third one, but Mads could uh, could change that, turn that around. Yeah, I I watched the first one in theaters like opening day and I enjoyed it enough. And then like two days later, I didn't remember a single thing about it. I just remember that uh, Johnny Depp showed up at the end and then Dan Fogler was really, really terrific in it. And besides that, that was about it. And then the second one, it's kind of the same thing, whereas I watched it in theaters and just didn't like it immediately. And then now all I remember about that movie is that there was multiple babies who died in it. (laughs) So it's just like (laughs) an unbelievable downer of a movie that really doesn't make much sense. And then at the end of it, they kind of say like, oh, if you don't follow Grindelwald, then all of the world wars happen. And you're like, what? (laughs) Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, what is happening here? And like all of the there's so many different weird motivations going on that just don't make a ton of sense. So now you just are like, well, I guess I kind of hate all the heroes that I didn't really like or have much of a connection to, to begin with. So, um, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really interested in this movie. If I'm being honest, I, I really don't care, but I do like Mads Mikkelsen a lot. And yeah, how many times has he played that psychopath role? And you have everything from like Casino Royale. Then he was doing a version of that in Dr. Strange too. Just every time you need a villain, you just kind of put Mads Mikkelsen in it and he'll do really good on it. And it's funny because he's he's one of those actors that he's known a lot for these villain roles. I kind of it's similar to Willem Dafoe in that way, where a lot of his bigger roles are him being very menacing. But then in a lot of smaller movies, he's just this very poetic and thoughtful actor who has a lot of warmth to him. So it's really funny just to see him double down on that in the public eye. Yeah, I saw, I think it was just like a tag by Scott Mendelson, um, the Forbes writer the other day was talking about Mads just is really fascinating because we kind of know him as, as the villain, um, um, just like playing bad guys, like you said, in, in Doctor Strange and Hannibal and this, um, but in Denmark, he's kind of known as a comedic actor, which I think is really funny because that's not something that I would assume most people um, in America would associate him with. But yeah, he's just an interesting guy. Um you just you have a good time with him no matter what you're watching. Yeah, there's a movie he's in that's been making the rounds at festivals. I think it's called Another Round, where it's just him being drunk the entire movie, I think. Or just maybe that's just the poster. It's just him just chugging a bottle of champagne or whatever. And it looks pretty delightful. But um, yeah, he's probably one of the better actors we have right now. Um, so I would like to see him do other things, but... You know, you can go. You you can do a lot worse with a role like this, and I think he'll he'll bring a lot to it. And there's other roles like I'm. I think specifically of the Doctor Strange character, where that character is just unbelievably underwritten. There's really not much to him. It's just very much stock Marvel bad guy. But the way he um, delivers his dialogue sometimes adds a little extra to it. Um, so who knows? I I think one of the biggest issues here is just been the writing in general i think they should just bring on another writer instead of letting jk rowling write these movies um and uh, whoever the guy who's been directing his last two the guy who's been doing all the last harry potter movies i can't remember his name but he just doesn't really have much of a style to him and so he just kind of just shoots what's on the page and with the last two movies there hasn't really been much there so it's kind of just like eh, it's kind of a dud oh it's david yates i'm thinking of but um he doesn't really bring much to it. So if you have JK Rowling, who's not a great writer and everything she's done outside of Harry Potter 
hasn't really been great either. So um, it's just, I don't know. I kind of just don't want to see this. I don't really think this movie, really anybody really wants to see this movie, if I'm being honest. The, the last movie just didn't do particularly well. So um, I don't know. It's it's weird. Yeah, I'm really kind of expecting this franchise to go the way of uh, like all the young adult <laughs> Like that boom we saw about five years ago where you had the Hunger Games that started off really strong and just kind of pittered out by the end. And then I think that was pretty much the only franchise that actually finished itself. And you had like Divergent, which just never made the fourth movie, which was a part two. So they did like a part one cliffhanger and they just will never finish it. And you had like the fifth wave and Ender's Game and all these things that just started and just fizzled out. And I'm I'm honestly not going to be surprised if this is kind of going that way. I know there's a lot of talk about like the monster verse going that way. Uh, who knows how many times we've seen the dark universe go that way. So it's, it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. And so your two main characters in these fantastic beast movies have been Eddie Redmayne's Newt Scamander, who's fine. I don't, I don't really have much to say about him. And then um, Catherine Waterston's character who I don't even remember her name. So like you just have, you just have no one to, latch on to this world with and there there are kernels of really interesting stuff in there i mean you have jude law as young uh dumbledore which i thought was amazing casting from the start and they could have done something really interesting there but they kind of chickened out on his um possibly gay relationship with grindelwald um i maybe he should have just been the protagonist this entire time at least just to have someone to latch on to and jude law is just one of the more magnetic performance performer performers you'll see but yeah i just <laughs> this is like you said i feel like this is really running on empty already and i feel like that like the what the last two movies were kind of just already uh, put this franchise to rest so my guess is that mads will probably be pretty, pretty decent in this third one but the movie just will probably bomb a little bit and then we'll just be finished with fantastic beasts movies which is i guess kind of a bummer because they were tend to do what five of these at the start so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, unless something just like crazy happens and, you know, Tommy Wiseau comes in and directs the third one. <laughs> I'd see that. I'm pretty much tapped out on on this franchise at this point. <laughs> what would you want to see from a third one? Where, like, where do they go with this? I have no idea. I mean, I think like looking at the Wizarding War, like in the midst of World War II, would be really interesting just to see like this almost behind the curtain plant kind of thing. Um, but I also think like there's no real focus to these movies. Um, you know, the first one is very much about Newt Scamander and kind of his weird kooky journey. And the second one is just kind of about everything they could think of. And so I'd like to see something that's more along the lines of like, yes, you've got like war in Europe. And then at the center of it is Dumbledore and Grindelwald just duking it out with magic um and like if they've, they've already diverted from the books a lot but like in the books there's this whole backstory about like dumbledore kind of being responsible for his family and then just completely squandering that because he's like 14 years old and obviously 14 year olds don't make good adults and um like this whole subplot with accidentally murdering his sister and they you know they've retconned that and like they brought um uh, oh, his name was Credence. There <laughs> um, was Ezra Miller's <laughs> character back from the dead. Um, and have just like kind of hamstrung everything. So I'd like to see like a very whittled down version of what's already there. 
um, but just something that's a lot more focused um, and kind of like you said that just kind of fixates more on its strengths with Jude Law and, and now with Mads Mikkelsen and and something that doesn't feel as bloated and universe establishing. Yeah, there was so much junk in that second movie. I always thought of it as the, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 where there's like little glimmers of maybe a decent movie in there, but there's just so much crap flying around. There's so many different characters and you really just can't make heads or tails of it or like what any of it means. And it's just kind of a bummer. Um, that was the other thing about the movie. Like I said, the multiple babies dying, it was just such a grim movie that really did nothing with that tone. It was just really depressing and I just didn't enjoy watching it whatsoever. And there's like a few moments where Newt's commander was being weird and playing with his pet animals. But other than that, it was just, just very depressing shit for like two and a half hours. So I just, yeah, I don't really want to see any of that anymore. If I'm being honest. Yeah. It's a lot like the fifth and sixth Harry Potter movies where the, the source material gets darker. And then the reaction to it in the movies is to legitimately make everything like dark. Um, like, the Half-Blood Prince is pretty much in grayscale the entire movie. Um, <laughs> just because, like, <laughs> that's the answer to that problem, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I think it definitely needs a little bit better management behind the wheel um, with with writing because <laughs> the scripts have just been chaotic. But I think also, also with direction, and I think part of what made the original Harry Potter movies exciting was you were shaking up directors quite a bit. So, I mean, you had Christopher Columbus, um, who was just like, this great like childhood um like spirit to it i mean come on he made home alone he made <laughs> the first two harry potter movies you have alfonso Cuarón came in um and did just probably the most stylish of the harry potter movies um, it definitely like stands out it's just so unique and then i uh, had mike newell who i'm you know not as familiar with and then david yates who's just kind of been in charge ever since 2007 um and so i think maybe it is time for a little bit more of a change up yeah, it doesn't look like we're getting that, though. So David Yates is coming back for three. And then you have J.K. Rowling writing along with Steve Cloves, who's kind of just been um, in charge of um, a lot of scripts for the, the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts movies. So <laughs> I guess they're just running it back. I don't know. <laughs> so I guess get ready for that whenever this movie comes out, I guess, next this time next year, 2021. So I don't know. It's like with the X-Men franchise where every time it gets bad, they're like, what if we let a producer direct this one? And then it's just <laughs> 10 times worse than the previous one. So is um, Fantastic Beast 3 just going to become the new mutants? Is it never going to come is. out? <laughs> That'll be Fantastic Beast 4. 3 will be the Dark Phoenix of the Wizarding World franchise. And they'll make another one. And then J.K. Rowling will direct the fourth one. And it will come out in 2028. And it'll be half a movie. And then we'll just be sad. <laughs> Mads will have a two-second cameo, and that'll be his appearance. <laughs> I'm ready. Can't wait. Um, but yeah, that, that is uh, what's going on in the Wizarding World. <laughs> um, and then in the normal world, it's pretty much just getting into heavy Christmas season. Um, since there's not much in theaters, a lot of the theaters have, have been doing Christmas movies. Um, I took my mom to go see Cla or uh, a Christmas story. Sorry, I looked at the Netflix list and almost said cloudy uh, at the theaters <laughs> this week. But, but Netflix is also pretty bloated uh, with Christmas right now, including our good old weekly Illumination Animation shout out. 
Um, so in the number one spot is The Christmas Chronicles 2, followed by Hillbilly Elegy, The Grinch, and number three, The Beast, and number four, The Christmas Chronicles, the original, and number five, Hard Kill, and number six, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and number seven, Don't Listen, at number eight, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, at number nine, and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, which is not a Christmas movie, at number ten. Um, so I'm not really surprised that the Christmas Chronicles two is in the is it number one and that the original is in the top ten. I mean, this was a pretty big hit for um, Netflix last year when when the first one released and and this one they expected to be pretty large as well. I mean, it's Kurt Russell being Santa Claus. He's making a movie um, with Goldie Hawn, who they've been together for like thirty or forty years. Um, it's just people having a good time so that you can have a good time. Yeah. It's the Christmas Chronicles. I feel like is probably one of the bigger Netflix wins in terms of original films. I mean, they've, they've done a lot of big series and whatnot, but I feel like this is one of the few things that's kind of like a like a calling card for them because I feel like once the original Christmas Chronicles came out, either last year or the year before, I can't remember, but. When that came out, I feel like a lot of people were like, this movie is really goofy and fun, and it's immediately on my rotation for Christmas movies. And I feel like the second one's kind of the same. It's getting pretty decent reviews. And yeah, like you said, you got Goldie Hawn, who is not in a lot of movies. What was the last movie she was in that? Maybe it was that awful Snatched movie with um, <laughs> like a few years ago. Who's in, who's the lead in that? Oh, Amy Schumer. Amy that movie's Schumer, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that movie's so bad. But she's just not really in much anymore. So that's I. I do want to catch up with the with these two. Maybe report back next week because it looks like they people do really like them. But yeah, you got Kurt Russell as Santa. That's kind of like the greatest thing I've ever heard, if you ask me. Yeah, and I mean, so I understand that uh, Goldie Hawn was just like a cameo in the first one, and this one is a lot more focused on just kind of the Mister and Mrs. Claus dynamic. Um, and then, of course, it helps because they're partners in real life so you've obviously got a lot of chemistry there and i mean kurt russell is just kind of charismatic pretty much in everything he's in um so yeah it's a christmas movie if they've cracked the formula <laughs> they've done it good job netflix um and this one is also uh directed by harry potter number one director chris columbus so even more of a reason to be excited what an amazing segue that we totally planned this is great we, we, yes, we we only brought up we only let Mads Mikkelsen get cast so that we can talk about. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I suspect this will be in the top ten rotation for the next four weeks. I think the first one probably will be too. I think at least half of this list, as is right now, is not going to change. Um, it's Christmas time. Netflix is going to start making all their money. Um, but then in the number two spot is the movie that everyone is talking about, um, although I have yet to hear anybody talk about it positively. <laughs> that is The Hillbilly Elegy, um, which is a movie that people have seen. They might not like it, and they might not remember it, but it's out there. I've seen it, and I don't like it. Oh my god, this movie's terrible. It's really, really bad. Um, so this is directed by Ron Howard. Uh, solo a star wars story star ron howard and um people have been floating around the idea that this is um poverty porn and yeah it's basically that so this movie is based off of the memoir by jd vance that came out a few years ago it was apparently like 
an inside look into the psychology of a Trump supporter or whatever like that, which like I haven't read the book, so that sounds hilarious on its face. But regardless, the movie has wants nothing to do with that. It's very just much like a like a rags to riches kind of story, and this this guy JD dealing with um, his tough circumstances growing up in the middle of the middle of just the country in Kentucky and dealing with his family who's highly dysfunctional. Um, and this just, this movie's just terrible. It's really, really funny at times. Um, but it stars Amy Adams as JD's mom. And uh, you have Glenn Close as the grandmom. Her name is Mima in the movie. Uh, and they are, they are just going hard after their Oscars. They are trying so, so hard. This is like the, one of the most Oscar baby movies you'll ever see where it's, it projects to be about like things and important stuff. And it's just hilariously bad. And Amy Adams is giving probably one of the worst performances I've ever seen from her. She's just going, she's just going way over the top, trying to act as this drugged out mom who just can't get out of her way. And she's just nuts. And she's, it's capital a acting in all the wrong ways. Um, and then the same with Glenn Close, who's in all this, like she's doing the typical uglify thing where she has a lot of liver spots looking like this old Mima character. Um, yeah, it's just really, really bad. And Ron Howard is a very, I'd say Ron Howard is a very, uh, direct and, um, not superficial director, but he's just very straightforward. You know, he's going to shoot the script. He really likes working in the studio system. He's really good. And that's why he gets so many jobs because people really seem to like him and he seems like he's a great job and he's a good director too. But, um, his style is very straightforward and pretty sentimental. So combined with this material is, uh, yeah, it's really, really bad. Um, it's really funny too. Cause so this, this movie is based off of a true story. So all like theoretically, all this stuff happened. So, um, but it's it, the way he films it, it makes it look so hokey when JD is from, uh, this town called Middletown. <laughs> um, and his name's JD and he goes to law school at Yale. Like it just, it just seems like the most like hokey, ridiculous stuff. Um, I think I heard James Gray talk about this director at Astro and all, the, all, all these other really good movies, but he talked about, it. it doesn't really matter in a movie whether something really happens or not. It's a matter of being able to convey that truthfully to the audience without it looking ridiculous. Um, and I think Hillbilly Elegy just fails every t- chance they gets. So maybe, all this does happen to this family, but it just looks so hilarious and outlandish that you just can't get like, you just can't get on board with it. So um, yeah, it's just really bad. And it's full of a lot of just hokey sentimentality and, and like a lot of dialogue that pretends to be about things when it means nothing. Um, So I'll give you a good example that we can move on. Cause I don't really want to talk about this movie anymore because it's terrible, (laughs) but um there's one thing in this movie where Glenn Close is talk. She's watching, uh, I think it's Terminator 2, and she's talking to young JD, and she's like, she's doing like the whole like Mima like Southern drawl. She's like, listen, listen, son. There's three kinds of people in this world. There's good Terminators, bad Terminators, or neutral. And you're supposed to be like, whoa, that means so much. <laughs> but then you, th- you think about it for a second and it's like, oh, that means that there is good people, bad people and people somewhere in the middle. 
It's like, cool. <laughs> thanks, movie. <laughs> thanks so much for that just wonderful, like, look into humanity. That's just really, really intelligent and good job on your part. So, yeah, this movie's really bad. It was trying to, do, to win all the Oscars, and we'll probably get a few Razzies at the end of the year. Uh, so <laughs> watch it. Maybe watch, like, the first 10 minutes, and you'll get the gist of it, and you can turn it off. But it's uh, it's something. It's really bad. It's probably one of the worst movies I've seen this year. I mean, is she wrong, though? <laughs> I a, guess not. She's at, she that's is a very non-specific. It's so non-specific that I think it's right. <laughs> Maybe Glenn Close had something up her sleeve this entire time. Who knows? Um, but say what you will about Ron Howard. He's the only director that's in the Netflix top 10 twice right now. So <laughs> so I, actually, I wanted to bring this up. So Ron Howard seems like a really nice guy. But we look at the movies he's made. So you look probably since, I don't know. Like Rush is probably the last good movie he's made generally, um, and so around that you have like those Angels and Demons, the Da Vinci Code movies. Um, then you have uh, what is it in the Heart of the Sea with Hemsworth, um, just staring at a whale for two hours. <laughs> then you have Solo, um, and now you have Hillbillyology. So um, maybe not the best run for this guy, and he makes a lot of documentaries too. So which apparently a lot of people like. So maybe he should stick to those for a little bit. I don't know. It just seems like he hasn't really found a good fit for his directing style recently. Yeah. I remember being really excited for in the heart of the sea when it was, when it came out and like the week before it was initially supposed to release, they delayed it by like seven months, um, which this year seems pretty normal. But back in 2015, that was just bizarre. Um, so, yeah, I know, like, he's had problems with that. And obviously, like, Solo was just kind of a troubled production. Um, but I think he's also just, like, kind of stuck with the Da Vinci Code. Like, because that was such a success, he was in for the second and then the third. Um, because his run from, you know, I'd say from Parenthood up until Frost Nixon is is really strong for the most part. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big How the Grinch Stole Christmas fan, um, but I know... I know quite a few people are. I think he's just like in kind of a weird time of his career where he is focused on making a lot more documentaries, but he's also just like a solid studio guy. So when you need Angels and Demons 2 or Solo to be quote unquote fixed, I think he's a good guy to call. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm not really sure. He is pretty impressive, though. I mean, he was on the biggest like an actor in the two biggest shows of two different generations and then just became an award winning director. So. There's definitely a lot of talent there. Yeah, and Apollo 13 is probably one of the best movies of the 90s, probably. Like, oh, yeah. In terms of maybe just even if you look at it in terms of what the mainstream movies were, it's definitely up there. So he's really talented. He just – he seems like he's a really nice guy, <laughs> which makes a lot of sense why he's thrown into a lot of these projects. And it seems like Disney just wants to kind of work with him every so often because he just seems really nice in every every interview you, you hear from him. And you just kind of want to see him do well. Uh, that's not saying he's like some like scrappy young buck who's trying to make it in the <laughs> business, but uh, like he, he just seems like a really nice guy. So it seems like that will lead to a very long career for him in Hollywood, however many years left he has uh, working in the business. But yeah, 
I kind of just want him to be with better stuff because <laughs> like he just seems nice. I just want good things for him. <laughs> yeah, and so I got to sit in on his panel at Sundance back in January, and yeah, he just seems like a nice guy. Like he was very knowledgeable and just like so excited about what he was doing, but also just like really emotionally connected to it because it was you know it was a documentary about um, all the fires that were had been sweeping through California. You know. Uh, probably about two years ago now and um, just this documentary was about all these people that had lost their homes and you know how do you rebuild from that what do you do when your whole town just turns into smoke um, so he's definitely like very grounded in his material i think um, but That's my rebuilding theory, paradise right yes yeah okay so, so my theory is if you look at when you know we'd say he made his last really good movies it was about the time that his daughter started getting a lot of like big movie attention. So my theory is he's tanked his own career so that people will appreciate hers even more. <laughs> well, apparently she made that really good episode of The Mandalorian, right? She's doing good stuff. She's trying yeah, to be I, the director now. I think she's an interesting actress. Um, she's not really given the best roles. I mean, she was in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> so there's not a lot there. Uh, but she's been interesting. Um, like in Rocket Man, playing uh, Elton John's mom, and then yeah, like she's directed a really good episode of The Mandalorian here about two weeks ago. So I'm I'm pro Howard family, and yeah, and she's just love interest in Jurassic World, <laughs> both of those movies. So she doesn't really have much to do there either. But yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe Ron Howard's just a really good dad. <laughs> um. I mean, he is on the Netflix top 10 list twice, so <laughs> just, just going to keep That's putting that need. out there. I don't see Chris <laughs> Columbus on here twice. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very Christmassy list. So like I said, the Christmas Chronicles 2 is in the top 10. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey version is in the top 10. Um, Jingle Jangle and then Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, which I'm not really sure why that one peaked this week, but I guess it did. Um, and that is, that is the Netflix top 10. Um, so we'll just kind of jump into what we've been watching lately. Um, so I'll let you take the lead on that if you'd like. Yeah, sure. I've been, I also caught up with the, uh, Hulu original happiest season this week, which was a new movie that dropped and it's another Christmas movie. So Hulu's getting in on the game as well. But, um, this movie was supposed to come out in theaters around this time. It was, uh, through Sony, but then obviously no theaters. So, uh, Hulu bought it, um, and this is a um, coming out story on, on the holidays. So it's uh, Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis, who I I love both of them. I think they're terrific. Uh, they're a couple, and Mackenzie Davis is taking Kristen Stewart home to meet her family. And uh, on the way there, Mackenzie Davis is like, "Oh, I actually haven't come out to my parents yet, so you kind of just have to be my friend." for uh, the ho- for the holiday season. And it's really funny because, well, it's not funny, but Kristen Stewart's um, uh, parents died on um, Christmas a few years back. So um, everyone in the family there refers to her as an orphan. Uh, and it's uh, the two parents are Mar- Mary Steenburgen and Victor Garber. And Victor Garber is running for mayor. So he's this very stately dude. And uh, they're, him and uh, Mary Steenburgen are like, they do a really good job of being like the fake concerns like, Oh my gosh, you orphan, you must've never seen a tree before in your life. And it's, it's really, really funny. Um, and Mackenzie Davis's uh, sisters are 
um, Alison Brie and Mary Holland. Uh, they're both really good. Mary Holland actually uh, co-wrote the scripts with Clay Duvall, who um, Clay Duvall uh, directed the movie as well. But um, this is just a really sweet movie. I think this will go into the canon for a lot of people in terms of uh, Christmas movies. It certainly will for me because I think it's really great. Um, but yeah, it's... I kind of look at this movie similar to um, you know that movie Love Simon that came out a few years ago, where yeah, it's this um, it's like this John Hughes esque um, like romance movie, but with uh, a gay lead character, and um, it's I think the the thing about both of these movies, like why they're so important, is that the fact that we're getting these pretty uh, by the numbers studio movies that are about gay characters. I think it's just really, really important. And it just, it, it just like, obviously rep- representation matters. It matters a whole bunch. So having these just very, these movies that are made for uh, very straightforward and very fun that are made for a big, like big crowds and having um, queer characters in the center of them are, it's just really important and really good to see. Uh, as the movie itself, I think is really fun. It's like you've you've it's you've seen this a version of this before in terms of all the things that the parent that the family goes through and they have all their squabbles and it all um, they all come together in the end and it's there's a lot of Christmas trees everywhere and all these things like that. It's uh, not the most I guess uh, revolutionary movie you've ever seen, but. You take into consideration what this means for just queer representation and, and film, and it's also just really lovely. And Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis are terrific in it. That um, it's really, really good. I, I encourage everyone to check it out. Here's a question: When was the last time you added a movie to your Christmas rotation? Like the last time you saw a movie for the first time and was like, "Yeah, I'm watching this every year." That's a good question. I have no idea. I think a lot of people would say the Christmas Chronicles, honestly, but I haven't seen that one, so I don't know. But other than that, I don't, I don't know. There's like a lot of, there's a lot of bad ones because it's really easy. I mean, you have all these Hallmark movies where it's just, we'll have someone in a quaint town running a quaint business, and we'll, they'll fall in love, and that's the movie. Uh, but I, I don't really know. What would you, what would you say? Um, I think probably definitely. Elf, I think. What yeah, that was what, 2003? Yeah. Yeah, I know, because I never really got into the Polar Express. Um, I mean, I guess you could say, like, the Santa Claus 3, because, like, but th- that's not one I really gravitate towards. So, yeah, either either Elf and, yeah, Elf in 2003 would probably be the last time. Oh, well, you know what? There's the one that I just added last year was Klaus. Have you seen Klaus? Uh, I have not. Klaus is amazing. I don't even know why I didn't think of it, but Klaus is so, so good. And it's like a 2D animated movie. Um, and it's uh, it's like an origin story for Santa. And J.K. Simmons plays like this gruff Santa who lives out in the forest. Uh, it's so terrific. It's really good. I love that movie so, so much. I'll be watching that at least once or twice this Christmas. Nice. Yeah, I, I've already watched uh, Christmas Story. Went and saw that at the, the theater this last week, which was just... It's just magical to like watch a Christmas movie you've grown up watching on the big screen for the first time. Like I'm, I'm normally pretty anti watching Christmas movies before Thanksgiving is over, but I went like three days before Thanksgiving, and man, what a what an hour and a half, just a pleasant <laughs> time. Yeah, um, I'm the same way. Where it's Thanksgiving, 
let Thanksgiving have its day. I really love Thanksgiving. And then I can go into Christmas after that. But um, it is interesting because I feel like Christmas is so um, full of nostalgia that I feel like sometimes it's hard for a new movie to kind of break through and go into the canon. But um, I'm hoping Happiest Season does that because I think it's, I think for a lot of people, obviously, because there's just not a lot of um, queer romance Christmas movies. So in that in that sense, I think it will find a big audience, but it's also just delightful. And I think it will leave you with the same like fuzzy feelings as a lot of these other movies. Yeah, so I did I did celebrate uh, Thanksgiving Day by watching the perfect Thanksgiving movie, which is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> it's just a beautiful Thanksgiving scene. Um, but then I've I've been on kind of a Sean Connery binge lately. So I, I did a lot of fringe Connery yesterday. So I haven't just had time to watch movies lately. And even the first half of this week was just like going and doing things. And and so I took this weekend. And I was like, I'm just going to watch whatever I search that's free that has Sean Connery in it. I'm going to watch it. Uh, so yesterday I watched uh, Richard Attenborough's A Bridge Too Far. I watched Finding Forrester and I watched Darby O'Gill and The Little People, um, which was just a really odd trio of movies. Uh, but it was pretty entertaining. I think A Bridge Too Far is just kind of your basic war movie at a lot of times. Um, you just have like a bunch of different characters that you really only care about because they're played by James Caan or Michael Caine or Sean Connery. Uh, but it was still like pretty competently put together. Um, and then Finding Forrester just felt like kind of a slightly less nuanced. Um, I completely blanked Robin Williams. I literally just watched this movie like a couple of weeks ago <laughs> or a couple of months ago. <laughs> Robin Williams and Matt Damon. I keep wanting to say Dead Poets Society, but I know that's not it. <laughs> and now I sound like an idiot. Um, <laughs> why am I blanking on this so bad? And the more I think about it, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Duh. Um, okay. I just We're kept keeping all this of, in, by the way. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I just kept thinking of the Dead Poets Society. And I'm like, no, that's not it. This is a different movie. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Finding Forrester is just a lot like Goodwill Hunting, except there, you know, there's a little bit more commentary on race, and then it, you know, kind of is this quasi adaptation of JD Salinger's life. Um, but I think it was just like a pleasant two hours. Um, like there wasn't anything really new or anything just like crazy groundbreaking, but I was just having a good time for two hours, just watching Sean Connery just kind of be this crotchety old hermit, um, just kind of doing his own thing. And then Darby O'Gill and the Little People is uh, quite the booby. Um, <laughs> it's a, so it's basically this like kind of he can't be drunk because it's a G-rated Disney movie in the 1950s. Uh, but he's like this town drunk in Ireland who tells stories, who uh, claims to have encountered these leprechauns. And so it's just like him and all these little misadventures with the leprechauns and he's like trying to steal wishes from them. And then Sean Connery is like this migrant worker who got hired for the week and falls in love with this guy's daughter. Um, and it's, I did really dig the story. Um, but I will say this movie does a terrific job with forced perspective. Um, and so I looked into the movie a little bit and apparently like when Walt Disney greenlit this movie, he was like, this is the way we're going to do it we can't have any seams in any of our shots. So the characters that look like leprechauns need to believably look like leprechauns standing next to people that look believably like real sized humans. And just looking into like a lot of the set work and 
and how they really made forced perspective work at a time when you didn't really have anything in the way of special effects to that degree. Um, you certainly couldn't use matte paintings very well or very believably at the time. Um, but just like looking at how well it did this, I mean, it was like Lord of the Rings quality in terms of making people who are the same height look vastly different heights. So did I really care about what was going on in this movie? No, but I cared a lot about like how it was being presented. Um, so good job for that. And Sean Connery was Sean good in movie. it? Uh, yeah, That's like he's just kind of your, he's almost like a dashing Western hero. Um, just kind of like that idealized roll into town, fall in love, beat the bad guys. Um, but he, yeah, he has a little singing uh, sequence, which was actually pretty good. Um, so it's definitely like an interesting watch, even if it's not something I see myself revisiting anytime soon. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've, I don't think I've seen any of these movies. So maybe I have to get more learned about Sean Connery now in the next few days. Yeah, this evening I'm going to watch The Wind and the Lion, um, which is probably going to be a little dicey because Sean Connery is not outright in brown face, um, but he is playing <laughs> a Moroccan cheek. So it's um, it's definitely going to be a little dated, but but we'll see what the verdict is once I watch that. <laughs> it's it's aged wonderfully. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been watching. Um, probably going to try and hit the Godfathers this week since the uh, the remake or it's not quite a remake, but like the the recut of the Godfather three releases this week. Um, so I'm excited to go see that since like the whole deal with Coppola being roped in for the third Godfather was never something. It was like his version of Peter Jackson getting roped into the Hobbit trilogy wasn't really on his to do list. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what is you know supposedly his like idealized version of it yeah i'm i'm fascinated by that i want to check that out because i feel like the godfather 3 gets a gets a lot of shit and for a lot of good reasons um sofia coppola probably better as a director than an actress we've all had these conversations before um but there was some really interesting stuff in that movie like i really love how they brought in the church uh for it i think that's just a really good idea of how to extend that story in ways that we hadn't seen previously so do i think a recut of the movie is going to like totally fix all the problems probably not but i would love to see it maybe it makes it a lot better because i think the stuff that Coppola's done with Apocalypse Now are really interesting and all like the 27 different cuts he's done with that movie are just really fast are really cool and fascinating and interesting and bring a lot of interesting stuff new stuff and um, change stuff that work in their own different ways so who knows he's done this a few times with his movies where he's recut things so maybe this he works his magic here or whoever else is working on it with him does it I don't know but I am interested in it yeah, so I've never actually seen the third Godfather, um, just because I knew like it it wasn't really on par with the other two, and even just like um, so I actually read about this when I read George Lucas's uh, biography earlier this year. It's like he and Coppola have been really good friends. They came up together. Um, he was part of like Coppola's American Zoetrope, the like two or three times he tried and failed to to get it off. Um, but basically, he, he like helped roll this deal for Coppola in the 90s and so Coppola like finally came back to Paramount and was like yeah I'll, I'll finally do The Godfather 3 um, if you'll let me do these other movies one of which ended up becoming Dracula a few years later so it's definitely like it's an interesting case in the sense that nobody really wanted to make it other than for money 
and then the studio wasn't really on board with Coppola's original vision for it. But now that there's even more money to be made, they're letting him recut it. So I'm I'm definitely interested in seeing that later this week. Yeah, he's such an interesting guy. <laughs> Every time he was down on his luck and basically flat out broke is when he made some of the best movies like ever. <laughs> and then he would get rich. He would get rich and then he would just make like these horrendous movies and where that's kind of where he is today. I don't even know if he's even making or thinking about making movies anymore, but it is funny. Like he had, he was running out of money and then he just got lost in the jungle with, <laughs> with Martin Sheen and everybody and, and uh, Brando and made apocalypse now for like three years. So he's a really interesting dude. I'd love to read or like watch some comprehensive documentary on his filmmaking career. Cause it's, it's so the highs are like obviously some of the biggest highs you'll ever see in your life. And then the lows are just like awful. <laughs> yeah. And it's really interesting just like how anti-studio he was. Um, I mean, he still is, but, but just how anti-studio he was in the beginning and how um, George Lucas was kind of like his kid brother. And George Lucas is now kind of like <laughs> the epitome of the studio guy, um, just like with the franchise that he's created and how that just dominates the market. And it's just so far removed from like Coppola's more purist artists out there on the street kind of vision of Hollywood. Uh, so it's just an interesting dynamic between those two. Um, that's the buddy movie we need next. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. I don't, I don't know. Let's see. Maybe Coppola should just chill and drink his wine that he's just been making for the past few years. <laughs> he seems like he's happy now. We, so we don't get another twixt or whatever other one of his movies he wants to make. <laughs> George and Francis Ford. I'm going to start writing it now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is this week's episode of the movie battle podcast. Um, we'll be back next week, probably talking about more Christmas movies, uh, probably talking about more Coppola. Uh, but remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com. Mm-hmm.